Uh, I'd like to invite our ushers down for the offering. Uh, just, just, just a heads up, today's sermon is about the rich young ruler and about possessions and the kingdom of God. So if you want to kind of, you know, juice up the pot a bit for guilt tax, <laughs> be it done to you according to your lack of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for how you have blessed us so abundantly, some of which we're aware of, much of which we're not. We thank you, God, that you are at work in our hearts, that you are at work in this community and in this world. Help us to be more a part of what you're doing. Help us to enable more resources to be used, that people would know there is a God on the throne who loves and is drawing them to himself. Pray your blessing on the gift, on the giver. Pray that you would multiply it all to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think with everything, what, what we find out is there's always, there's always a hidden catch. There, there's always, when we approach something, it seems so good. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is the next thing. This is great. And, and all of those things are true. But what we find is that everything in our life has a certain gravity. You know what gravity is, right? That more mass something has, the more it attracts things to it. That's why Jupiter has like 50 moons. We we only have one, you know, because Jupiter's a lot bigger. Where there's lots of things in our life that have different amounts of gravity, different mass that that pulls our hearts, pulls our affections, pulls our values toward it. It also happens to be the same things that this world values in terms of what it thinks, um, what we all think would make us us. Anyone ever uh, buy a home or a car, some big purchase like that? You don't pay for it just once, do you? Say average homeowner rebuilds their house about three times. Um, cars, third-party insurance, uh, gas, uh, tune-ups, um, Pimping your ride, whatever. I mean, it, money goes. You think I'm just paying for this, but it, it's more and more and more and more. How many people own a pet? How many people's, people's pets own them? Okay, how many, how many parents get, fell for this one? Don't worry, your kids will fall for it too. Uh, your, your, your cherubic kids, like, all I wanted my whole life, all seven years, was a puppy. Oh, a puppy to love and to care for. It'll, it'll teach me responsibility. It'll teach me responsibility. I can care for the dog and it'll be all mine and I'll learn and grow and everything. One year later, who's stuck with a dog? Who's feeding him? Who's, who's the dog jumping up in bed with to sleep with? It's mom or, or dad, right? So, so we think this is what it is. I'm the owner. This is what's going on. I'm in control. Um, this is what it's doing for my life. But there's always a catch, always a rip. Riptide, always more. Everything we have tends to own more and more of us. If you don't believe what I'm saying, show up here about, mm, I don't know, 11.30 midnight tonight, about one block east of here, and and you'll see what ownership does for folks. What we're going to look is this. What we own can easily own us. That's why young Jesus didn't have a uh, cell plan. So, 
What we can own can easily own us. Simple, what does Jesus do with this? We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. We're at chapter 10. What we had looked at just the previous week, and now this is sort of the second part of the journey headed toward Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was asked a question, and it was asked from our perspective, what can I do so that I'm in the clear with God, but I can do what I really want to do anyway, was the essence of the question. And Jesus approaches it from the other end of the funnel. Really what you should be asking is, do I see the absolute value in what God has done, and can I do everything to hang in there with him? Sometimes the answer is no, but, but our, our approach is uh, very, very different. So he's, people are just kind of spinning now, and the disciples ask that question. If... The level of commitment in a marriage is the same level of commitment in like a covenant with God, because it's the same word. Um, I, I don't know if I can get married. And he's saying, good. Now you're thinking along the right way. You're going to give yourself up. Just like in salvation, you lose yourself to find it. Similar principle working here. So the disciples are already just going, whoa, wait a minute. I've got a, my 40-year plans just changed radically. And now he hits him with another one, okay? So he's just turning. They had just talked about marriage, and this happens. As Jesus started on his way, you can find this Mark 10, starting with verse 17. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So there's this scene, just as they're set to go, this guy comes running up. The, the, the way the, the words are used there, it's kind of like he slid into first. He comes running up out of breath. Oh, I thought I was going to miss him. And he just drops to his knees, slides in front of him. He's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Okay, okay. I, this question was just compelling him. It was burning him. Now, who is this guy? Um, Matthew and Luke give us different information. One tells us that he was young. One tells us that he was uh, a ruler. And all three Gospels, including this one, tells us that he was rich, that he had a lot of resources, a lot of assets. That's why this is referred to as the parable of the rich young ruler, except it's not a parable. It's an interchange. And so as this scene unfolds, whole lot of information is being thrown out on this is what I think the kingdom is, and Jesus is kind of using this as a teaching moment. Do you find it curious that uh, Jesus kind of rebuffs him and says, you call me good, good teacher. That was a common form of address. Most rabbis would be called good teacher. So that's total, total standard, standard issue, Mr. Messiah. And um, Jesus pushes him back. No one's good but God alone. What do you make of that? Have we got this whole Trinity thing wrong all along? I mean, Jesus is saying, well, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Wouldn't that imply that Jesus is saying, I'm not God, so don't call me good? Or, I know, you, you knew there was an or. I, I couldn't really stretch that too much. Um, we have to understand when Jesus speaks to us, When Jesus is speaking through his word, that Jesus is speaking to people and he has to speak their understanding, their level. He has to enter into their world, their values, all of this. Now, he always stretches us beyond what we cling to in this world to what this is ultimately all about. That's the entire book of John does that. 
Disciples only see the physical. Jesus is talking at the spiritual level. And so he's drawing us upward. He's doing the same thing with this, with this individual. So he enters into the worldview of it's blasphemy to call anyone God except God. And they had the one understanding, God is one. And so for him to say, say look, I'm, I'm actually the good one, the good God, good call, you got it right. Um, they, they couldn't have done that. When, when he's in the, um, in the uh, temple precincts and he says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, there's something beyond and divine. They all picked up stones. They were going to kill him. And, and so rather than go there, because he was making a point there that they, they needed to see that, and that was leading to the cross, uh, he wants the guy to hold in there. And so he says, why are you calling me good? What he's doing is a few things. One, we have the servant posture of the Messiah. Exist, existing as God did not consider all the rights, all the privileges, all the power, all the glory, all the control, something to be held on to that he could leverage it over others. But he let go of all of those rights, took the form of a servant, a slave. And so he's doing the same thing here. I think he's also pressing the question, as he did with Peter, as he did with the crowds, who do you say I am? Okay, you're using the standard thing, good teacher, but think about what that means. What does it really mean to be good? Think about that. Let's work this through, because that's sort of where he's going to go with this question. See, Jesus says, look, keep looking to God, keep looking to God, keep looking to God. And, and what we're going to see over time is how do we know what the eternal Lord of glory is like? It's like Jesus. Nobody has seen the invisible God. He's explained him to us. And so all of these things that he's saying and these hooks that he's putting in hearts and minds, um, it's after the resurrection they go, ah, I get it now. I get it now. We couldn't bear it. It was too much. He told the disciples that. I have so much more to tell you. You can't handle it. I'm giving you a little bit. But later on, when the time's right, when you need it most, you're going to see why I'm stretching you, why I'm challenging you, what, what's going on here. Ten Commandments was everyone's go-to list to be good. We still kind of do the same thing, right? If you're talking about who's good and who's bad, you kind of trot that out. Oh, you ever kill anybody? You ever you know, want something that somebody else has? You ever, I don't know, whatever. I'll let you be creative. Now, the Ten Commandments are divided into two sections, uh, five and five. Um, Hebrews and um, evangelicals divide them up, but it's the same thing. And the first section, first five are for God. Or four for God, depending which way you read it. And the last section are dealing with man. So you shall have no idols before me, you know, that sort of thing. Don't take the name of the Lord, God, Lord in vain, meaning don't attach God's character to something foolish. Don't speak light of him. Um, they all had to do with God. But then all the other ones deal with man. Which ones does Jesus quote? Read them. Do they have to do with um, how, our relationship with God or relationship with one another? Anyone? See, that's why you got to follow along with your Bibles. See, it's not up there. You're like, oh, what's he saying? Okay, here we go. What, what are they? Dealing with God or dealing with man? Man, all of them. In fact, in place of do not covet is do not defraud. What's going on here? First, he says, you got to look to God, okay? So that's what your focus is going to be. What is, what is real goodness? And now, secondly, he's, he's laying out the commandments. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get in good with God? What is it? And Jesus doesn't say a single thing about our relationship with God. He's only talking about, well, you know the commandments, plural. Entally, you know the commandments, and it's, all, it's the latter ones. Why does he do that? Okay, the, what, was the, what was the verb in the question that the uh, rich young ruler asked? Good teacher, what must I believe to inherit eternal life? What must I 
do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus respond? He doesn't say, whoa, 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 work salvation. You can't do that. That's what the Pharisees are doing. You just look to me, man. I got it covered. You believe in me. It's eternal life done. You can't say works because then you earn your salvation and it's just religion. It's not Jesus. It's got to be faith only. Did Jesus say that? No, see, that's our problem. We do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Just like it's our problem about the hypostatic union of Christ and divinity and humanity. and How does this work? Or Jesus going, that's your problem. You, you got to sort that out. I'm on a mission here. I'm saving people here. And, and we read so much in and push and it has to fit and bend and all of that. And we lose the thread of the narrative. Jesus is going after people here. I believe why Jesus said the, um, the five that, or six that have to do with man is because they're all doing. They're objective. They're verifiable. Maybe I have other gods. Maybe I don't. You don't know. Maybe I don't know. You know, God reveals this, and this is where we're going to be going with a message here. But I don't know that. Um, graven images can look like a whole lot of things. They had hidden idols back then. That was the issue, burying them in their tents. We, we do the same in our minds and in our hearts. So the ones that deal with God, who knows? You can talk a good game. Pharisees certainly did. Pharisees did a good day, game as well. That wasn't it. And so Jesus is saying, okay, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What are all the things you've been doing that we can all see, that we can all check? And he says, yeah, I'm good. I've been earnest. Since, since I was a boy, I've kept the commandments. Do you, do you believe he did? Yeah, I believe he did. Because Jesus certainly did. Jesus didn't say, you liar! I know what you did last summer. I, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not calling him out. Have you checked your Facebook status lately? You got tagged. Um, kicked or... Whatever, whatever you do these days. I don't know. Um, pile driver. Um, what, what Jesus is drawing out here is you've, you, this, your understanding of religion is what must I do. It's a good heart and you're going the right way. And you've been doing all the right things. And you've been keeping the commandments. You can keep the Ten Commandments. Every, most people could. The issue wasn't the doing. It was the, the spirit of the law. And the issue is what is our intent? Are we just complying with behavior or are we earnestly seeking God? This guy was earnestly seeking God, but he, he was doing so under the old way of understanding of behavior. And so Jesus is trying to draw him out. Okay, throughout the Bible, we have all these law summaries. This is the heart of God. This is what life with God looks like in our culture or their culture or someone else's. And, and there's all these different summaries, but there's just too many of them. We can't remember them. So we keep cutting the list down, but that's okay because God helps us with it. The law has 613 commandments in the Old Testament, 613, all dealing with how do we deal with our sin? How do we deal with God? How do we deal with one another as these um, ancient Middle Eastern uh, shepherds and farmers? How, how do we do life together? 613, 248 positives, 365 negative, and everybody had to know these. Well, the shorthand for that was the Ten Commandments, Okay. That was still too long. Ten commandments, that's, that's a lot to remember, right? So phone, phone numbers are seven digits because we can only remember seven things. It's true, that's why phone numbers are seven digits. Ten. So we're, we're always going to forget three. So, so God pairs the list down for us. Everybody was trying to do the right thing. They were keeping all the commandments. They're saying, hey, we're good little gerbils or Nazis or whatever. God, aren't we great? And in Isaiah, he calls them out. And he says, yeah, you're doing all the right thing. My people draw near to me with their lips. But you don't get it. I don't care about good behavior. I want intimacy in your hearts. And if you're going after all these other things and it's bad behavior, that, that's going to create walls. That's why I don't like it. But I don't care about you shaping up and flying right so you don't embarrass me. 
Okay? Jesus isn't afraid to get down the mud with people. What I do care about is trying so hard to justify yourself, you miss me. And so in Isaiah 58, everybody was saying, God, we're so good. We fast hardcore for you. We fast twice a week. We do the hardcore week-long fast, two-week-long. Aren't we great? And he says, this is the fast I was really talking about. Loose the captives and injustice. Minister to the poor. That's the fast that I require. The whole physical fast was just to remove all the crud that gets in the way so you can see people and you can see me and you can be engaged. It's a means to an end. They made it an end in itself. There were were six things mentioned in Isaiah 58. That's still a bit long. So Micah pairs down. You have told me what is good and what you require of me. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. Pretty much a whole way of life. And then Jesus finally sums it up. Love God, love each other. All the word of God, all the laws, everything that's in there is based upon these two things. So what you're doing, is it going toward that loving God, loving others, building them up? Or is it going away from that, which is indifference to God, indifference to others, and, and, and we get all the leftovers? Oh, man, is he going to get it? Maybe not. Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, we have these screeds, Matthew 23, different places with the Pharisees. We have all these laments about the rich exploiting the poor, the rich man and Lazarus, all these stories. And so you get the feeling that Jesus is out there, um, you know, in tie-dye playing the bongos with a 99% rally, you know, sticking it to the man. And he's going, we're, we're all the 100%. We're all, we're all human, okay? This is, this is the common need that we have. He looked at him, he loved him. He didn't see jealousy. I wish I had what he had. He didn't see a spoiled kid. Oh, you've had it so easy, you haven't lived in the real world. He didn't see accomplishment or you've got to do these things and I can't or opportunity. He didn't look at all the comparisons of the world. He looked at his heart and he saw somebody from as a little boy wanted to please God. And in a way that he knew, he was earnestly seeking after him. The Lord looks for those who worship him in spirit and truth. Such worshipers the Father seeks. He's going after them. He looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack. So he's speaking on his terms. You look at your faith and relationship in terms of what you do. That's not the whole thing. That's the end. We don't know what's motivating it, but it is legit. So one thing that you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. Um, the, the, it's one word there. And the word is used like. Um, it's translated an angry sky. Um, the people were so. Uh, grieved at this loss. They, didn't, they couldn't even breathe. There was uh, such a jaw dropping astonishment. Literally, it was just, so it's really, really strong. It's not like he felt, I mean, his entire world just came apart right here. Like you can record, you know, fat, you could, you could pause the frame right where his heart breaks, right there. And the wheels start coming off. The man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad. Because he had great wealth. 
How many people try to amass wealth in their life? How many people would like more money? You are all lying in church. I can't believe it. You're lying. God, God is going to make the Niners lose now. Thanks for the purple, Eric. Sorry, Baltimore purple, man. I don't know if you knew that. Was... Some of us have to represent others. Uh, you, how many people would like to have more money? Thank you. Yes. Do we worship money more than we think? Should we? No. But is it good to have more money? More opportunities, more resources, more money, more problems, right? But if we're honest, we'd like to pay off one more bill. We'd like to bless somebody one more way. We'd like one more bag of Funyuns. Whatever it is, there's always something we could use the money for. So yes, we want more money. We want more wealth. We see it as a good thing. The man went away sad Because he had great wealth. And it wasn't because he had a massive capital gains tax. It wasn't because the SEC is auditing him. It wasn't because um, he doesn't have any friends because they all hate him because they're jealous. It wasn't because his kids were getting kidnapped for ransom. The money wasn't causing him problems. The money has still been all good for him. But now he encounters the living Lord. Now he encounters the one he had been seeking his entire life. Everything in his life had been going toward this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the greatest blessing now was seen as the greatest curse. And he didn't know what to do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You must cut out your heart and hand it to me on a platter and then come follow me. It would be just as doable to this guy. Lived and worked overseas for 12 plus years living, living there anyway. And um, in many different countries, before the euro, it's probably going back now, um, there was currency exchange that you have to do. Any, anybody traveling, anybody on vacation, that's what you have to do, right? And, and you're going to get hosed at the airport with the exchange rate because, because it's an airport and they got you. But, but when you go to a country and say, this is my money, and it, I know what it does here. I know how much things cost. I know the value of the U.S. dollar in America. Um, go overseas, and we ha- it's worthless, not really going to be able to buy things, depending. You can trade in some countries. Um, so you convert to the local currency. And now you're good to go. As, as much as you can convert from American dollars to the local currency, be it Zelati or, or, or Lei or Dinar or Krona or, or whatever. Shillings, pence, farthings. Whatever you're using, you convert it, you can use it, right? And, and we do this all the time. And, and so much of travel was trying to find money change places because you were helpless without money. This is a time credit cards don't work, ATMs don't work, travelers checks nothing. You need cash or it's not going to happen. So we take cash and we convert it to cash. This won't work once I cross the border. This will. And there's so many adventures trying to change money because none of the places would ever be open whenever we'd be in country. And so we'd have to deal with the, these characters in train stations. You walk by and you kind of give them a look and then they give you a look and you walk by and you, know, you give them another look with the numbers and you handshake and trade. All legal. It's just after hours and really dangerous because if people know you have a lot of money at train station at two in the morning in Middle Eastern Europe is probably not the safest place to be pulling out your money. So there was all of this concerted effort to be effective where we were by exchange. Until we exchanged the money, it wasn't going to happen. How many people have ever seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse going to a graveyard? Why? Because you can't take it with you. But you can. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
See, the whole thing of you can't take it with you is absolutely false. The problem is we haven't done the proper currency conversion. You see, we're trying to take in the values of earth as earth, unconverted. Just like an unconverted soul isn't going to see the living God, unconverted wealth, unconverted resources, not going to make it to heaven. And so Jesus is saying this is the ultimate currency exchange that we can do. Currency being power, influence, opportunity, ability, wealth, whatever it is. And translating it for true value where we're ultimately going to be. It's a currency conversion from what we've been given to steward. To convert it to what is of most substance. From human to divine, from earth to heaven. And But we only understand heavenly currency in terms of earthly currency. That's why all of our metaphors, all of our understandings of heaven are so wrong. You see, we think earthly values are going to be heavenly values. The streets are paved with gold. Are we going to have cars? Why, why do we need streets and why gold? Gold's a soft metal. That's stupid. Why would you pave a street with gold? That's ridiculous. And, and all of these images we have. Um, my father's house has many rooms. I could get a mansion. Why? Because a mansion here shows wealth and power and good for you and you're great. And everybody in heaven's going to see my mansion. They're going to know how humble I was on earth. Because I get to stand up there going, woo, baby. Why do we do that? Because we think if it's a value here, it's got to translate directly to heaven. And that's why you can't take it with you. That's where we're wrong. We're importing all of our messed up agendas to God. And so he's saying you have it here for a purpose. It's a stewardship. Everything you have, you're just renting. Got to give it back. All go, tux goes back to the cleaners after the wedding, right? Um, that's our life. That's our life. And so what are we, what are we doing with our wealth, with, our, with everything that we've been given to convert it to heavenly currency? Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Follow me. You've just made a huge conversion. Everything that you've had, everything that you gave away, everything that you offered, everything that you said, this is not the most important thing in my life, you are. All of that has just been converted to heavenly currency. Now, it's not going to be a mansion, it's not bling, it's not gold, it's not stars, it's not crowns, it's not all of these things. These are just ways we try to grapple with it. But I can guarantee you this, you're going to be looking back going, man, I am so glad I did that. It is completely worth it. How did I not see this? I was a fool. It's like the end of Schindler's List. If I'd only sold this car, I could have gotten more people. If I'd only sold this ring, I could have gotten more people. If I'd only seen what this could have been converted to in terms of human life, I wouldn't have held on and grappled and, and accumulated so much for me. And that's what Jesus is opening this guy's eyes to and our eyes. The man's face fell. He had what everybody wanted, and it made him sad. We're not able to see how much something is worth to us truly until it begins to cost us to keep it or we have to give it up. That's a relationship. That's a possession. That's pretty much anything. It's an attitude. It's a value. It's a belief. We don't know how much something is worth to us until it begins to cost us to keep it, or we have to give it up. This man never realized how, because he'd been surrounded with it, it was the air he breathed, how much the wealth was important to him, until he had to give it up. Because we're always willing to do the bad in order to get the payoff, which is good. 
And we do this with possessions, relationships, attitudes, values, how we see ourselves. We take whatever the bad is because the good is so worth it even if the bad is horrible. That's the cycle of addiction. That's the cycle of sin. Our lives are ideally designed to receive the exact results that we are currently receiving. They're absolutely perfectly designed. Everything you do, everything you believe, the schedule you have every single day, where you spend your time, where you spend your money, the way you talk to people, every single thing, including your dreams, every single thing in your life is ideally designed that you are receiving the exact results that you are currently receiving. In terms of affirmation, in terms of friendship, in terms of how you see yourself, in terms of worth, in terms of everything. The question is this. Are you completely satisfied with your life exactly as it is now? Because if you are, keep it up. This is the best way it can be designed. Just keep doing the same things, believing the same things, all of that. But if you are receiving things in your life that you are not satisfied with, that leave you empty, that create more problems, that it's one thing after another, we have to change this up. Values, attitudes, beliefs, what we're holding on to. And Jesus takes it back to the beginning, break, you know, strips it down to the studs. It's an attitude of the heart. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Um, the word used is just monetarily rich. It's where we get plutocracy. Disciples were amazed at his words. That word amazed is the same one amazed at marriage. Just, I, I, just getting over, I was just getting over marriage, Jesus. Now you hit me with money? What's next? Disciples were just fried, blown away. Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, not just absolutely, but whatever it was, it was more of that when he said this. And they said to one another, who can be saved? Who can be saved? If the ones who can do it all here and now can't enter, what? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. There's a teaching, I, I grew up with this, heard it, it was just signed, sealed, delivered, that what this meant, the eye of the needle, was in the walls of Jerusalem, there was this uh, gate, and it was about the size just of a camel, and at night they would close the city gate, so, you know, for security of the city, but merchants were traveling at all times, you know, they don't have GPSs, and they'd arrive in the middle of the night, so in order to get the camels and the merchants in where they'd be safe, there was a door in the wall called the eye of the... Or, or yeah, a hole in the wall called the eye of the needle and you'd have to take all the packs of these merchant camels so just the camel could fit through and then push all of the goods through and then load the camel up again and go through. So it's possible, but it just is really difficult. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. We're not, we can have possessions, but as long as we're willing to let go of them and that sort of thing. Problem with this is it's absolutely wrong. There was never a hole in the wall. There was never one called the eye of the needle. Think about it. There's bad people out there that are going to kill us if we don't close the city gates at night, and that's why we have guards all over the wall. But we're going to leave this giant camel-shaped hole unguarded just so we won't inconvenience some merchants. So we've got the army, we've got this giant portcullis and guard, we just load it for bear, and we have this hole back there. No! 
But why, why has a lot of evangelical churches, why do we believe this so much? Because we don't want to take what Jesus says at face value. It is more difficult for those that have money to become saved than it is for an actual, literal camel. Big camel, smelly camel, to go through the eye of an actual needle. The one you have to go cross-eyed to thread. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not referring to a word picture or it's with difficulty or or a a cultural thing that people... He's saying it's impossible. It isn't going to happen. Here's a needle. Good luck. Let me know when you get the camel through. And and so I was like, so so no rich people are going to get saved. And he said, well, if it was just up to man, no. Not at all. That's why God has to work in our hearts. What's the greatest enemy to the gospel? Besides me. I'm more a liability than an enemy, but what's the greatest enemy to the gospel? The common denominator makes it so hard. What blinds us? What insulates us? All sorts of things, but why? Greatest enemy of the gospel is pride. It's the original sin. It's the one that pulls us away all the time. I deserve. I need. I'm better than. But me, it's eye disease. We are broken people, and and it hurts to be that way. So we cover up. Remember the whole sin cycle in the garden? That there was fear, and so there's hiding. There was shame, so there's covering. I I was naked and, and no biggie, and now... It's, it's shame and covering. Well, if we are just compelled to cover and to hide as much as possible, the more money we have is the more ways that we can cover and the more ways that we can hide. It's the more stuff that we can insulate our soul with so we don't have to deal with it. That, I believe, why is it so difficult. The more resources you have to insulate yourself from God, the more you will. Yesterday and today, this morning, there's a whole bunch of workers cleaning up the mission, picking up rocks, picking up bricks, making sure bike racks are chained down for some reason, making sure all the muni buses are, have Kevlar on them. But, but they're cleaning up all the trash and rocks. Why are they doing that? Because win or lose, it's going to be very festive. Never underestimate the power of large, stupid, drunk crowds. Never. I've made that mistake. Never. It's going to go bad. It's just the amount of of things that can happen. And what happens is people start picking up stuff and using it. Now, is the problem the, the paper that can be set on fire and the rocks that can be thrown? Paper and rocks are horrible, and so we have to clean up. No, it's the intent and how they're going to be used. Is wealth horrible because it's just, it's bad? Money is the root of all evil, right? Love of money is the root of all evil, intention of the heart. And because we're so prone to, prone to wrap and wrap and wrap and wrap, the more stuff we have to wrap, the more stuff that we will use to wrap. And we will. It's so familiar and there's so many layers we just won't realize it. That's why, getting back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus could say, happy, blessed, joyous, the best place to be are the poor, are the broken, are the mourning, are the persecuted, are the marginalized. Because they are stripped from all the things that if they had it, they would wrap themselves in it. And being stripped and vulnerable, they see their true need of God. That is why they're blessed. They're not far from the kingdom of God. And that is why, equally, he said to this man, this is what you need to do. Okay, you've done all the things that we can measure out. We don't know what your heart is. One thing you lack, 
you're doing kind of guy, do this. And he called it exactly where he was. Last, last section. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to folly. Peter, I'm surprised you would be the one to say that. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And that kind of bookends when he was beginning that teaching. Okay, way back there. So when you're reading, reading Mark, pay attention to those two in between. First, last. What does it mean to have something? To own something? Does it mean you control it? Does it mean that you are the one person that, that you bought it, you paid for it? Or can you have it through experience and engagement? Following Christ, the gutsiest thing you'll ever do. The hardest thing to get there because of our pride, the easiest thing to do is, Lord, I believe, save me. Following Christ, the gutsiest, most difficult thing to do because we're stripped, but it's the most precious, wonderful, inviting thing to do because it is how we are made. When we follow God, we're not saying, I'm going to follow the life that I made, the life that I choose. And the life that we choose is going to be small. Because we're only going to choose a life that we can control. We're only going to choose a life that, that works, that does it for us, that's good. And it's going to be small. When we follow God and we step out of the claim to our own lives, God has full control, which he already does. We're just allowing him to use it uh, in our lives He'll take us anywhere. He'll do so many things. Our lives will be so enriched. Enriched with people that we would never hang out with. People to challenge. People to help us to grow. Lives woven together in ways that we never would have done ourselves. Experiences that we have. The church and understanding and world. Lives are just so much more enriched. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can hold on to houses and and possessions and all all of these things. and, And just live like this. Or you can say, okay, God, I'm empty handed. I'm empty handed. Why a lot of people followed Andy Stanley to his church at North Point? He left empty-handed. And uh, his executive pastor said, this is why I'll follow that man anywhere. Somebody that walks away from all this, the show, the fame, the money, everything, and walks away with nothing, nothing, no salary, no severance, nothing, shows that he knows that God is going with him. Convinced. God's going to provide. God's going God's to bring this through. And, and how that has played out has just been the grace and the mercy of God for him and for each of us. You will have many more, hundred times more houses and brothers and sisters, lives woven together, situations a hundred times more and persecutions. And does that seem like small print? Sign up right here. You're going to have joy and you're going to have love and you're going to have peace and you're going to have death and torture. And you're going to have uh, lots of... Uh, Good times and, and mercy and pain. And, and this, isn't the, this isn't the subtext because Jesus has been screaming this the whole time and he's reminding them. Yes, you'll have much more of the good, but you will also have much more of the bad. You'll be going against the grain of this world and the grain of your heart and it's going to hurt and it's going to cost you. That's going to strip you as well. But necessary to strip us. We are not able to see how much something is worth till it costs us to keep it or we have to give it up. What did it cost God to get us? To, to buy you from your sin, from your brokenness, from your guilt, from your shame, from being cut off, from trying with everything this world has to offer to make it, to make yourself. What did it cost God 
to bring us into intimacy, fellowship with him. It cost him everything. It cost him his son. He knew how much we are worth. He knows how much we are worth because he gave up his son. He gave it all up for us. He's shown us how this can be done. He's shown us the value. He's shown us that in paying that price, there is such value that is placed on us. And all the sacrifices that we make, we place that value on God. The most precious sacrifice. You see, we don't grandstand with hard choices to uh, commend ourselves to God or to others, although we think we do. We're not storing up credits that we can use at the heaven store. Um, Not at all. But where God continually challenges us with the gravity of our heart and what we are holding on to and we we attach ourselves is that we will practice daily in making the lesser sacrifices so that we'll be able to give up our whole life to God. Sometimes it happens quickly. It's called martyrdom. Sometimes it happens slowly. It's called dying of old age or natural causes. Sometimes it happens unexpectedly when we go. The Lord could come back at any time. But in meeting us with all of these sacrifices we make on the daily basis, he sorts our hearts out to make the right ones now. With man, this is impossible. The more we have, the more we think that's a bonus, the more we think that secures us in this life, they're not necessarily bad things. They can be used for good, but they have their own gravity, and we really, really need to be careful with them. That is why we continually need to bring this before the Lord What God am I holding on to? What is my real foundation? What am I really standing on? And the only way we're really going to find it out is when we don't rely on it. We need to rely on them anymore or we're not able to rely on them. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you call each of us out because you love us. You see, not what the world sees, the competition, what's known, what's, what, what's not known, what's assumed. But you see a precious person made in your image. You see the earnestness. You see the battles. You see the failures. You see a heart that's up and down. And you love us and you're drawing us to yourself. And as, as a protective parent, you were removing the things that are harmful, the things that will destroy us here, the things that um, will cause ruin to our life. Help us to have that same heart. Help us to understand your discipline, Father, that when you take away things, it's for our good, that when you challenge us to give up things, it is for, so far beyond our good, I I, I can't even describe it, Father. I pray this week that you would show us, Lord, again and again in different ways so we couldn't push it away, so we can't justify it, so we can't explain it away. If there are things that we have been leaning too much on, if there are things that are too much of our image or our identity, if there are things in our life that we are using uh, in place of you for comfort, for security, for power, for influence, if there's anything that we are relying on because we can and do it all ourselves, God. Show us that we could give it up and show us the most beautiful way to do so. You don't call us to be reckless. You don't call us to to hurt ourselves or just to give stuff up for some badge of holiness. 
But everything that's going to get in the way you want to remove, everything that's going to help you want to add. Help us to better trust you. Help us to see uniquely what that looks like in our life. And give us the courage, Lord, to trust you when we can't see. In your name we pray. Amen. we look at this week 
know as we look at times that will be quite enjoyable, times that will be unexpectedly difficult, knowing that when we come to the end of ourselves, our response will always be to take whatever is laying around our life and make a barricade and hide. That when God looks at that, he's not judging us. He's not saying you shouldn't or bad or, or you shouldn't have this or all of that at all. Some of those beautiful believers I know have sick money. Isaiah was very wealthy, okay? Hear me. But what I am saying is this, that why God does what he does is out of a heart of love, that he doesn't want us hunkered down in any kind of a barricade, even if it's the Taj Mahal, Ritz-Carlton. He wants us intimate. He wants us close to him, the very best place to be. And he will be using everything in our life to strip away that insulation that we could have that full connection with him. It's out of love. It's out of joy. It's out of peace. And everything we're trying to get through the other means, it's ultimately toward this anyway. He could just do it a lot better. Go in peace to be and to do his will. If there's anything that you would like prayer about, we have prayer counselors right here. I'd like to invite them forward. Stay and pray. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Bethel and how to get involved, right through there, there's some couches. People love to talk with you. We do have an assembly meeting that's starting in 28 seconds. And so if, if the rest of you could go fellowship out there, that would be awesome. And, and we're just going to kick this off. And please remember the reception for Roos and Jacqueline. Room 202. Thank you.